0: Uh, today, we are continuing a series called the 21 Days of Prayer, and I love about the series so far. It's been such a great week as we kicked off the year last year, uh, but the 21 Days of Prayer is not necessarily a, a, a series on how to pray. And it's not that I don't believe that how to pray is important. We've done series before about how to pray. I'm trying to keep it simple for you today. If you know how to say, Dear Jesus and Amen, we're trying to help you fill in the rest, okay? We're trying to help you by prompts every day, kind of fill in what is it you should be praying for? What are some things in terms of a target that you can be praying for over the next 21 days that we really believe will make a difference? in your life, okay? And and here's the reason why this is important to us. It comes from our theme verse. comes from our theme verse in terms of our goal for the series, and that's from Ephesians 3.20. It says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. And the key words I want you to see there is within us. I think most people approach prayer in terms of praying for what's happening out there. You know, we want to pray for God to do something here. We want to pray for God to do, you know, do something in our government, do something across the world, do something with our friends, do something. With, we want to see constantly God actively working. And we sometimes approach prayer that way, which is not a problem. It's just that God also wants to do an incredible work in here. He also wants to work within us. So sometimes we want to experience more and see more of what God's doing, but part of that is helping us kind of expand our capacity, okay, the work that he wants to do within us. And that's the goal of the 21 days of prayer, is for all of us to stretch and to grow and for God to do more in us so we can experience more, so we can receive more, so that we can also see and be a part of more. And so that's the goal. And over the last week, I'm telling you, just the couple emails I received uh, online, people are sharing through social media the prompts that they're getting. They're responding, interacting through Instagram stories and Facebook posts. And it's just so amazing to see people be honest about the challenges they're facing. And the that we talked last week about building your confidence, building your faith and trust in God. And just seeing people kind of respond to that. It's been awesome. We also gave out the, these uh, these uh, uh, cards last week. It was 21 scripture passages called The Truth for 2019, and I love seeing people uh, sh- take pictures of their, of their card and kind of daily waking up and reading some passages about the truth of what God says about you. And, and, and I, my goal is that so you would commit those to memory. These are all passages that I would challenge you to spend the time this year reading them over and over and over and over and over again, that they would actually commit to memory for you. That would be my ultimate goal in prayer. It would just be so cool to see that happen this year. And again, part of that's just, again, the goal, just to expand our capacity, got increase our ability to receive from you. Today, last week was building uh, to expand our capacity to build our confidence and faith. Today, we're going to talk about uh, two terms that really have one result, which is called focus and commitment, okay? Focus and commitment. Now, one of the reasons that this is pretty, you know, uh, timely is the fact that in January, most of us, not just in the room, most of us in the world, uh, in terms of the, the Western world, we 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 celebrate this sort of New Year, New You kind of you know mentality, right? We kind of celebrate the resolution making stage where there is something you want to focus on and there is something you want to maybe commit to that you want to see improved. And here's some like here's just five general areas that I see oftentimes people talking about. Physically, I want to lose 157 pounds, you know, in two months. You know, I want to I want to I want to you know I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna go after the gym this this week, and next week I'll look like the Rock, you know. And there's these goals, right, of 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 just seeing improvement in these areas, relationship wise. I'm gonna find that person to marry. I'm gonna. Stop dating losers, you know, I mean, whatever it might be, right? I've got career aspirations or a side hustle or self-employment or whatever. You want to launch financial goals. We're going to get out of debt this year. We're going to stop spending more than we make. You know, there's spiritual things that people go, I want to see this happen. I want to experience more of this, and I want to see that happen in my life. So sometimes January is just one of those years where people say, I want to focus and commit on something. I'm going to focus and commit to something to, to see some improvement, to see some change. And I think it's great. And even in those areas, I'm, I'm not going to deny that those areas are good areas to, to focus on. But I want to just talk about the way Jesus actually answered the question of what it is that he thinks we should be focused and committed to. And how does it work itself out in the goals we make, in the resolutions we make, and the, the way January usually hits us in terms of the stuff we want to focus on. And commit on. So the first word is focus, and it's real easy. It's just the center of attention, right? You know, focus is just an idea of just trying to bring something center of attention. Our culture makes it very hard, guys. We're very distracted. We're very, uh, very on demand. Kind of what what I want right now. It's we're a thousand miles wide and an inch deep in terms of in terms of our attention span. And so focus is necessary. You can't commit to anything unless focus is present, right? So something is the center of your attention, all right? So I want to make sure we start there. But Jesus, just to let you know, when Jesus was asked this question in a specific way, it was because when he entered the scene, he entered the religion of Judaism, God's religion. He entered into that scene. And at the time, there were two factions of leaders uh, in the church and in the in the in the in the religion. It was the Pharisees, which you probably hear more often than not, Pharisees, but there were also this group called the Sadducees, okay? So there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the best way to describe it is simply that the Pharisees represented more of like the priests, they represented more of the sort of ceremonial leaders uh, that walk people through ceremonial service and things with the temple. But the Sadducees were really more, and I, you know, I, I mean this in a good way, they were really more the lawyers and the judges, okay? They were the ones that, that were Six hundred and fourteen laws, not including all the little side things they decided were also important to keep. All those laws, the Levitical law, the, the Moses law, like that, like that. That's that was how many there were. It's very complex, and so it's very similar to our lawyers, very similar to the Supreme Court with the Constitution. Uh, they would spend time arguing and debating and working through like the law, the God's law, and how does it mean? And and people would be accused of something, and they would go before the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were the ones worrying about the law and how it was actually done and and, and what did it really mean and what consequence was it really supposed to be. And so here's a moment where Jesus is uh, in a debate. He's actually in a conversation with both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they hear Jesus debating, and a Sadducee, and this is the reason I want you to know that term, a Sadducee, a, a religious leader of the law, thinks he can kind of trick Jesus with a question. He thinks he can kind of paint Jesus into a corner. So here's where it starts. We're going to read the Mark uh, passage of this. We're going to read Mark's account. Uh, and the reason I like it is because he actually pulls from the full verses of the Old Testament, the law that they would have known, uh, to, and when Jesus answers the question. So here's Mark 12. It says, One of the teachers of the, religi- of the religious law, again, that, that's the Sadducees, was standing there listening to the debate. He was listening to what was going on, and he said he realized that Jesus had answered well. Okay, Jesus was good. He was good at this, right? And he said... He said he realized the answer was, so he asked him, hey, out of all the commandments, which is the most important? And this was a tricky question to, to their, in their world because, you know, there really shouldn't have been one more important than another, and they followed the complexity of God's law. But Jesus actually replied and said, hey, the most important commandment is this. And notice the quotes when you read that in your scripture. It's, you know, you can look at the footnotes. He's pulling out scripture passages from the Old Testament that they would have known. He pulls out Deuteronomy, and he pulls out you know, some, some stuff they would have already known, and he says, okay, would you like to know what it is? That's fine. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. That's his statement of focus. That is his response to say, hey... I just want you to know that God, your God, the God you serve, he is the one and only Lord. And when he says Lord, he does mean what they would have all understood. The one and only master, the one and only ruler, the one and only Lord of life. And then he goes on to say, and, and I insert the word therefore because the context of how it's written, therefore is the tone that he says, the the Lord is your one and only Lord and, and we would say therefore, you must love the Lord your God with, and I want you to read these four words all out loud as I read the the sentence, right? You must love the Lord your God with what? All All your heart and what? All All your soul and what? All All your mind and All. all your strength, right? And then he goes on to say, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other command Commandment is greater than these. Only Jesus can you know, grab two things and make it one. Okay, that's what Jesus does, right? That's what he's good at. And here he is giving them this incredible response, which I'll be honest, we could end the sermon right now. If we were all at this level to understand, hey, this is what it looks like. Here's the focus and here's the commitment. It's all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Amen, let's go to lunch early and beat the Methodist, right? <laughs> right? But the reality is, is that commitment, commitment is a very, very difficult word. Focus we kind of get, it's the center of attention, but commitment is something that, I'll be honest, that we all struggle with. And I say we, I mean you, we, and me, we. Okay, We all struggle a little bit with how we would all define commitment because commitment, you would think if I said commitment, that it would be the way it's read. Look, you, you're going to love him with all, it's whole, you know, King James often used the word wholeheartedly, right? It's, it's all in, it's this fullness of commitment. When you say commitment, it just means that. The problem is, is that for most of us, commitment can mean full or it can mean partial. It can mean partial. Because sometimes when we say commitment, or when we talk about how we use the words commitment, sometimes we talk about It's being kind of a partial thing. I love this. This is a horrible story and a very bad joke, but I want to give it to you anyway. Maybe you can tell your kids, all right? This is what came to mind when I was doing this, when I was preparing, all right? So a pig and a chicken walk into a diner, okay? Tell me if you heard it before. Pig and a chicken walk into the diner, and it says the breakfast special up there, bacon and eggs, $2.99. And the chicken says to the pig, man, this is crazy. Is this all, is this it? Is this all the contribution we make to society, breakfast food? But the pig says to the chicken, look, it might be a contribution for you, but for me, it's total commitment. You like that? So you can tell your kids that later, right? It might be partial to you, buddy. It's full for me. And the problem, again, when we use the word commitment is that sometimes we really do have a, have a, a mindset, if you will, that there's such a thing as partial commitment commitment. We might, we might not even fully realize that's what we're doing, but the reality is, is that sometimes we say we're committed to something, but we're not. We say we're committed. I mean, you see it show up in jobs. You see it show up in relationships. You see it show up in marriages. You see it show up in side hustles. You see it show up in, in health and fitness. You know, We say we're committed to something which should mean all in, which should mean fully, which should mean completely wholeheartedly, but what actually is happening is we're saying we're committed, but it's really only partial right? It's really only partial. And it shows up in the church. It shows up in our Christian lives. That there's, we kind of break up categories of our life and, and some of it is fully devoted and committed and some of it's just not. You know, our marriage might be fully committed to God, but our kids are not. Or our kids might be, but our marriage is not. It's partial It's partial commitment to our to our reading our Bible. It's partial commitment to understanding God's will for our life. It's partial commitment and our understanding of stewardship and how God wants us to handle our finances. There's a lot of Christian language that comes around this idea of partial, right? Partial commitment. Because we we feel like our intentions matter. We feel like the, the trying of something is commitment. We feel like the, the, the intention to do is commitment versus understanding that full commitment is a kind of an all-in, wholehearted. This is the way the scripture talks about commitment versus what we kind of turn and twisted that phrase to mean, which is partial, kind of, maybe a little bit. We'll try, we'll attempt, right? And that's the struggle. That's the struggle commitment. It's one of the reasons that I think, one of the reasons that that Christians today are not experiencing the fullness of all that God wants for them is because they are only partially committed in their understanding of God. They're only partially committed in their life back to God. So they can't experience the fullness of anything when they're only actually giving part, a, a sliver, a category, if you will. Now we understand that the commitment is a problem, and so I want to talk about the problem a little bit before we get back to how the, the solution that Je- Jesus gives us really plays itself out in our lives, especially in terms of how we sometimes think about planning and committing uh, to things. I love this great quote from Vince Lombardi, right? Football season's almost over, but Vince Lombardi gave this great quote. He said, Most people fail not because of a lack of desire, but because of what? Say it out loud. Lack of commitment. Right? Most people fail not because they don't have the intention, the desire, the passion. It's a lack of commitment. So why don't we commit? Let's just talk about that for just a minute, okay? Why don't we, f- and when I say commit, fully commit. Why don't we have this sense in our culture anymore of all in and wholeheartedly and all when I say that I'm going to do something, I'm going to fully commit, doing something? Well, I wrote down a few a few reasons, and I, there's probably more than this, but I wrote down about five just to help us kind of understand that even from a surface level to a very deep level, one of the reasons that we struggle with commitment. One is that we, we really want to make sure that we, there's not any better options, right? Then we want to make sure that there's not going to be any better options. Sometimes we feel like we kind of pin ourselves down. If we commit to something, then, then a better option comes along. We're, we don't have the option to take that other option, that other path. Sometimes we just know There's laziness in us, or there's just a lack of discipline in us to be able to do it. So we, you know, we struggle to commit there. Sometimes it's a fear of failure. Sometimes it's an honest to goodness, like we don't commit to things and we struggle to fully put ourselves into anything because if for some reason it wouldn't work out, we know that we would, the feeling of failure that would come on us is something we just don't want to experience. How many know what FOMO means? Right? I get, I want to write it out loud, but FOMO, right? It's the fear of missing out. It's the idea that if I commit and lock myself into something, I'm going to be missing out on some of the other things that I don't really ever want to miss out on. I want to be able to experience it all. Some of us have friends, right, like that. The FOMO friends. And sometimes it's actually a false understanding of freedom. Like some people actually believe freedom is I can do what I want, when I want, how I want, whenever I want to. Right? That's, a, that's our understanding of freedom. So when you start talking about commitment, it's like, no, 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 don't fence me in. Right? Don't tie me down. have like a false understanding of freedom. and it go, Listen, it shows up everywhere. It shows up in our spiritual disciplines in terms of a lack of commitment. It shows up in marriages. Listen, guys, people are getting married later in life because of this lack of commitment. And believe it or not, if you're between the 20s and the 30s, divorce is happening so much faster. It's now the average between two and four years for that age group that they get divorced. We see it in workplace. We see it with our jobs. Like, I mean, seriously, like if you're, again, that 20s to 30s range, uh, or oh, sorry, 20 to 40, so 20s and 30s range, right now the average tenure for, for work is just a little over two years. It's 27 months, as long as you'll stay in one job. And it's, it's, it's really something that's difficult for us to see until we really start to get into it, that this is really because of a lack of commitment. This is because we don't, we have false understanding of freedom. We we don't want to, we have a hard time. Listen, this is one of the things we struggle with at church. Uh, if you've been here at Journey longer than about a year, you know that we, we're we making you register for everything now. That's just a big part of what we do. That's why we had to come up with the info.bar. We got to get you the easiest way to register for things. I'm surprised we haven't made you register for service at this point. I'm not saying it's not coming, but at some, we want to be able, you know, some of it's a stewardship thing. We got to order food. We got to take care of childcare. We want to make sure. We know to prepare for who's coming, but because of the nature of the lack of commitment, even on a surface level, like we'll, in the staff, in the office, we'll look at the number of people registered for an event, and it's on a Tuesday, and the event's happening on a Thursday, and believe it or not, we can look at that number and go, you know what, it, it would not surprise us if that number actually doubled, because people don't want to commit to anything for any of those reasons, right? They don't want to make people feel bad. They want to look out for better options. They want to do. And one of the things I really struggle with is the southern yes. Y'all know what the southern yes is? You know? You know what I'm talking about? Southern yes is a hard one for me because maybe sometimes you got to live somewhere else to really get the southern yes. But the southern yes is a way of saying yes to pretty much everything because you want to be polite. Right? Hey, we should totally get together and do that thing. Yeah, for sure. Right? And you have no intention of doing that, and you're no way you're gonna commit to that on the spot. So it's the Southern yes. Oh, we should totally make that happen. We should totally do this. We should totally do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, girl. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Let's do that. I'm so excited. Never hear from them, right? That's the Southern yes. And I, again, I struggle with that. They, I know there's some weird psychological stuff there in terms of the politeness and the manners and the way, how they're raised, but it's really sad that someone would feel the need to say yes and lie, right? Then simply be honest and say, no, I really don't want to get coffee with you. I don't see it happening. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I don't. So it plays. I should have put that on the list. It plays out a part. The Southern Yes is part of that. Commitment, guys, we have to understand that commitment is a big problem for us. Because if we don't understand, our, our number one, how we view commitment and how we process commitment, we're going to get stuck. We're going to stay with where we are. And then we're going to commit poorly we're going to commit to the wrong things and we're going to and we're going to execute that commitment if we're going to try to make goals and try to make resolutions they're really going to be directed at the wrong thing. Peter Drucker's a, an author, business author, manager and and uh, he said basically if you know unless commitment is made there really is only promises and hopes, right? There's no plans. There's no plans. Okay, let me ask you this just to get a kind of a statistic. How many people in the room are goal setters? You love setting goals. Just raise your hand. Be proud. Be proud, goal setters. Yeah. Oh, way more than the first service. That's great. You're goal setters. And listen, I want you to hear me loudly and clearly. Goal setting is not wrong. Goal setting is not a problem. It really isn't. But I want to talk a little bit about, even for those that aren't goal-setters, you still set goals. You just, like a rebel, decide to do it in a way that doesn't look like goal-setting. I understand, right? You still make plans and commitments. But I want to talk for a minute about what we're committing to, because this, sometimes when we do get to this, this, this January time frame and we're like, no, I'm going to focus, I'm going to commit, sometimes I struggle that we're doing it in a way that doesn't really leave God the opportunity to do a work in your life. And let me explain what that means. I want you to look at these two words and just think about this and what are, in terms of what are we committing. The words destination and direction. Everybody say destination. destination. Say one more time. Say destination. destination. Oftentimes, this is what drives the majority of us when we do finally decide to focus and commit to something is the destination. It's, it, it's, it's, it's completely a destination. I'm going to read this verse. I love this verse. It's one of my favorites that I've put to memory. Um, it's Proverbs. And, uh, and it really helps. This is Solomon kind of helping us all understand what's natural, but what's supernatural. Okay, That there's a natural element to this and a supernatural element to this. And this is in Proverbs 16. It says, in their hearts, humans plan their course. Right? In their hearts, everybody here, no matter what you kind of do, in their hearts, humans, we plan our course. And it says, but the Lord establishes their steps. That there's a natural part of this and there is a supernatural part of this. That in their hearts a man plants their course, but in their, but the Lord himself, he establishes their steps. And so um, what I want us to look at today is part of the understanding that every one of us, depending on how, again, we, we approach it, we all tend to chart a course in some way, shape, and form. If you were a kid, how many remember being a kid and you made your first, like, Treasure pirate map, pirate treasure map. You know what I'm talking about? Where you drew the X, right? You drew the X on the on the screen, and you decided, you know, you're going to go in the backyard, and you're going to do this. And you got to go, go ahead and throw my picture up. You're going to go in the, go backyard. You're going to you're going to go through the doghouse, you know, and you're going to go around the tree, right? You did draw the dotted lines, and that's your treasure map, right? That's that's how you're going to chart the course to what you're going to do. But the reality is, is that most of us actually do this in some shape and form when we decide to focus and and commit on something we'll get out our map our kind of our metaphysical map go to the map page and we'll get out our map and we'll start to figure it out we'll say you know there's some things that might be in the way there's some things that might come up there's some obstacles and you do the very best you can to kind of figure out the map and then find either the shortest distance or the best way in which you I start right here and I'm going to chart my course to get me to a final destination I'm going to get me to where I feel like I want to go. And what happens to happen is that's what we end up focusing our commitment on is the destination. The problem with this, and if you, you might have to, had to live a while to experience this, but the problem with this is that just, just, read, just reading the Old Testament narratives, let alone the New Testament statements that I'm going to, I'm going to kind of give you, is that we don't get a map, right? We, we don't, we're not given or promised a map we are given a what? Compass. I can tell you, are all real excited about the sermon now, right? What are we we given? A A compass, right. We are given the Holy Spirit. We are not promised a map that tells us that we can actually chart the course that we want to chart, start here to get here. Now, we are given ideals and instructions on how we can do certain things, but we will never receive a map There is no guarantees for our financial future, success, jobs, career, marriage. There's no way for you to know every single thing that's going to happen. But we chart our course anyway. At least up here we do. We chart that course the best we possibly can. But you are not given a map to help you chart a course. You are given a compass, which is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit does an incredible work in our life. Matter of fact, the, new, the way the New Testament states it is the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into God's will. The Holy Spirit is going to guide you away from sin, the things you tend to draw towards, and he's going to draw you to the, towards what the Spirit wants for you to have. Actually, and Paul even says that, that the Holy Spirit, that there's a possibility for you to even walk step by step by step with the Holy Spirit of God. He's the compass. He sets direction. You're not given a map so you can find your destination. You are given a compass so you can make sure that you are in the correct direction. Why? Because there's a spiritual, there's a a natural and a supernatural thing at work. We are going to plan our course. It's just the nature of of the way we're wired. We want to know steps we're going to take. We want to know the way it's going to work out. We're going to try to plan our course, but we got to always remember we're not given the map for that reason. We're given a compass. So I'm going to stay in direction. Let me give you a quick story before we read this next passage. But I mean, you know, for me and Tracy, uh, it was about 14 years ago. When I was writing this, it was kind of weird. It was that long ago. Ugh, 14 years ago. 14 years ago, we moved from Florida here to plant a church. Right? to start a brand new work, to plant a church with some other friends of mine and to start something new. And, I'm, and I can tell you that from, from the best we possibly could at that time, now I'm sure, I'm sure we were naive about a lot of things, but the best we could, we planned it. We, ch- we tried to chart some things out. We worked towards some of the plans of what we'd like to see and what we'd like to accomplish and what we wanted to see happen when we came. And I just want you, I just want you to hear this. Like 95% of everything that we charted out went to pot, like it didn't work. None of it happened. And a whole bunch of other stuff did happen. And there was a dark time and there was a time that we struggled and we we questioned what God was doing and we questioned if he understood. Again, we felt like he gave us the destination. We felt like the destination was something honoring to him. We felt like for sure every time he answered a prayer that he was answering a prayer based on our chart our course to reach that destination, and God the whole time is going, just, just stay with me, guys. I'm, I'm establishing your steps. you got the compass. Guys, I wouldn't be the pastor here today if any of my plans had worked, if any of the, the course that I had charted had come to pass. And I tell people even from, you know, I I think I shared this back when I got back from my sabbatical a couple years ago. I mean, I talk to pastors now. We'll go do Cypress training, and I'll talk to young pastors, and I'm just like, man, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, the sooner you can get past this idea that God's the co-pilot to what you want to try to accomplish, because that's going to lead you nothing but frustration and failure, is that that at best you are the co-pilot to what the Spirit's going to do in your life. And I am glad to tell you that where I am today is because he established my steps. Not because I planned the course well. But what has to happen, okay, when you, when you start thinking about focus and commitment, what has to happen is you've got to get away from that destination and you've got to move to direction. We do not commit, right? We do not commit to outcomes. We commit to direction. Here's how Paul said it. Here's how Paul said it. I'm going to read a paraphrase in Philippians because I love the way the language works, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase um, for this passage of Philippians 3 of how he describes what this direction looks like. He goes on to say this. He says, listen, friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert On all of this. Meaning, I've not, you know, I am not the the expert map maker, is what Paul would say, right? I'm not giving you a map. That's not how it works. I can't tell you how it's all gonna work out and function for you and you and you. I'm telling you that I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us where? Onward. Onward to who? To Jesus. He's, He's beckoning us onward to Jesus. So I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. And then he goes on to say, so let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. For those of us who want all this fullness of what God has for us, let's keep our eye on that goal, running towards that goal. And I love when he says this, he says, I pray if any of you have something else in mind, something less than, read it out loud, (sighs) something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision." God will help you focus again. And you'll see it yet. And now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. You know what I love about having a compass? And that God is more focused on the commitment you have to the direction of your life than it is to the destination of your life. You want to know why I love this? I'm going to tell you anyway. Do you want to know why I love this? Yeah. <laughs> because direction, direction always leads to a next step. You know what's so great about that? So I can look at every one of you, I can't see mostly in the back anyway, but I can look at every one of you today and tell you, tell you this, that regardless of who you are and where you have been, regardless of whether you're a brand new Christian, regardless of whether you, you're not even crossed the line of faith yet, I'm telling you, regardless of, of whether you've been following Christ for 60 years, he has a next step for you. I know this, because that's what direction does. Direction always provides you the next step. And it doesn't matter if you've stumbled on your journey. It doesn't matter if you've lost your way. It doesn't matter if everything is so unclear in your future. He always has the next step. If you're around Journey, you know we like those that term, next steps, right? Nod your head if you're with me. Yeah, we used to, we say next steps all the time. Why? Because that's what we believe. We believe, from a, even from a church as an institution, that we cannot get you to commit to things. Oh, I could have. I could have manipulated you today and had cards in the seat and got everybody moving and, you know, you got to commit to something. Don't bother coming back to church, you know, if you don't commit to something. But that's not the way we function. We understand that God has the next step for you. I don't know what your next step is. I just want to make sure that you're focused in the right direction, that you are trusting in the compass to guide you. We, we have lots of things. We have baptism coming up next week. Next week there's baptism in between services. I challenge everybody to come. If you're in the first service, just stay late. We're going to do the baptism in between the service. We have tons of kids getting baptized, some teenagers. Stay late for that. If you're coming to the second service, I know it's hard to ask in this culture, but just come a little early, okay, and come and see and experience and be a part of the baptism that we're going to be experiencing together as a church. That, maybe that's your next step. Maybe you've never made a public profession of your faith. Of your faith, and so from last week, in terms of building your confidence—not your self-confidence, but your God-confidence—and this week, knowing that the focus and commitment is on Jesus with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength—that that's your next step. Maybe it's the growth track that Don talked about. Maybe it's this idea that you need to learn how to partner and grow in your faith and serve and lead, defined by how you are wired and by how you are designed. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's partner night. Maybe it's the small groups we'll be launching in February you know, to get a part of a group of people that you can do life with. I don't know what your next step is. I just know that you've been given a compass. And he did not ask you to commit to the destination. He asked you to commit to him. Remember how Jesus answered that question? He's like, there's only one God. There's only one God who is the Lord of your life. And therefore, your commitment is to him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And you know what that, I'm just telling you, this is such a good message for me. You know what freedom that gives you? Go back to the list before. Go back to the list. Remember this? You go do whatever you want to on your resolution list. You, you, you know, you want to lose weight. You want to work out. You want to take a step here. You want to go on a trip. You want to be a part of serving something. You want to uh, see some changes financially. Fantastic. Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, you do it all to the glory of God. All these little things that you're going to do, all these little steps you're going to take, they're not the commitment. They are the expressions of the commitment you've made. That's what they are. You know, serving Kid Street is a commitment. You commit all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength to him, and he provides you the next steps on your journey as to what those expressions will look like. That's what we're striving for. So, you know, lose weight. I'm trying, right? I don't think I'm gonna look like the rock next week, but maybe two weeks. You know, I mean, never know, right? You wanna get out of debt? Get out of debt. You know, follow God's ideals and instructions. He's got a plan for all of these things. But listen, I'm not telling you to commit to the plan and the destination. I'm telling you that when you commit, when he said that, when he said this is the greatest thing, he really did mean it. If you would just commit here, focus and commit here, I will work everything else out. I will establish your steps. And what we experience tomorrow is what we start today, right? What we experience tomorrow is going to be what we start today. But here's here's the kicker. It's your choice. It's your choice. I can't choose it for you. I'm your pastor. I love you. But I cannot choose it for you. It's a choice you have to make. And it's a choice, let me just tell you, it's a choice you're accountable to make. I love this uh, the story where... Um, the Israelites had taken the land and Joshua had led them and taken the land of Israel and, and, um, and they, even then they struggled with, with all of their faith and trust in God and there was a moment where, where Joshua had to just be honest with the Israelites and say look you're going to have to make some choices you're going to have to decide for yourself what you're going to do this is in Joshua 24 he said this is the end of, the, of his book he said I want you to fear the Lord and serve him read the word out loud great word Put away forever the idols of your ancestors' worship when they live beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord alone, the one and only God. And he goes on to say, But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. You're choosing something, right? You're choosing something. He says, Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you now live? And he says, But as for me... I learned it as for me and my house, right? Good old KJV. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is just making it very clear, guys. You're it's your choice. You got to choose what you're going to be fully committed to. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will trust the. Compass that we've been given. We will we will make plans in our hearts. It's just natural for us to do so. We will make goals and plans and dreams and and take steps, but we really, really, really want God to establish those steps. And everything we do in terms of the next step that God's going to provide for you, I'm telling you, He's got a next step for you today. It's just an expression of the commitment you've already made. So when I say, what are you focused and committed on? I hope the answer is that. I hope the answer is that. I don't want it to be, you know, some single thing, some, some, I don't want you to commit to the step. Does that make sense? I want you to make the commitment that matters and then I want the step to come because it's an expression of the commitment that you've made. And that's my prayer today. My prayer is not, again, I I want you to set goals. I want you to lose weight. I want you to, you know, experience some of the dreams. I want you to launch some of the dreams that God's given you. I want you to shoot for the stars, seriously. I want you to take every God-sized dream that you have and go for it. But man, I want you to hold that thing openly over the next seven days as you receive the prompts that we're going to send you about praying for this specifically, praying for your focus and praying for your commitment. I want you to hold those hands open and I want you to be honest about why you have a lack of commitment problem. And then when you make those plans and you take those steps, I want you to hold those hands open and say, God, I'm going to plan the course, but I really, 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 really want you to establish my steps just like Paul said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run. I'm going to run this race and not turn back because I've got the compass that's leading me. And the goal is to fix my eyes on Jesus, like Hebrews says. I'm going to fix my eyes on him, the author and finisher of my trust in him, my faith. That's what I want you to commit to today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much not just for your spirit to be and dwell us and to give us the power to live this Christian life, to live, you know, the life you've called us to, because you're the only way we can do that. But God, thank you so much that, that, that even the, the wisdom of Solomon to say, look, it's, some things are just natural. We're going to try to chart the course. It's just what, who we are. But God, don't let us miss a single thing as you establish our steps. And God, I'm praying for everyone here in the room today, for everyone that's watching later online, that they would realign their New Year's resolutions, that they would realign their plans for 2019. And God, that they would sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to put my commitment into the direction of your Holy Spirit. I'm going to put my commitment into loving you, God, and serving you, God, the one and only Lord, with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And God, every step, the next step that you put before me and the next step after that and the next step after that, God, I'm going to trust you for it. And I'm going to let all of those things be an expression of the commitment that I've made to you. And God, if there's anything, anyone here that's you've just... You're honest with yourself. You have struggled with this. You have struggled with a lack and partial commitment to your faith and partial commitment to your trust in God. God, just like, just like Paul said, I want you to clear their blurried vision right now. God, your Holy Spirit would just give them clarity and focus as to what and who they're committing to, and they would decide it. And that's their next step. They're going to do it right now, and they're going to begin to see change from this point forward because of the focus and commitment to you. God, we're thankful. We pray all this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.